0: I'm Will, and I'm Luke, and this is Will and Luke, Luke discuss, discuss, a vodcast and podcast where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This, this episode, episode, we're, we're discussing, discussing The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. Hello, Will, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, good. Good. Thanks.
1: Keen to um, give this one a crack, and I think, uh, yeah, it'd be the perfect compliment book to uh, Waken Up by Sam Harris, which is a book we've covered in another podcast
0: so this book the wisdom of insecurity published in 1951 alan watts um was really known for bringing eastern philosophy to the west and he did that via public recorded lectures throughout the 50s and 60s and published many books and um yeah i just i've always found him quite a funny guy he and amazingly i've just noticed in this um uh, intro to the book. He died in 1973. Um, oh wow, a lot earlier than I thought. Yeah. <clears throat> so the book itself, uh, the way I've understood it from the preface, is like what it's about. Because <laughs> this this is going to be a hard one to talk about, I think. <laughs> but it's an exploration <clears throat> of the law of reversed effort in our in the human's quest for psychological security. How's that a yes. first pass? <laughs> that sounds great, yes. And I'd add to that um,
1: something uh-huh. I wrote down was and, and his efforts to find spiritual and intellectual certainty in <clears throat> religion and philosophy. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah so that sorry. begs a question, doesn't it, of what's the law of reversed effort? Um, the image that comes to my mind is the sword and the stone, if you remember, well book or the film yes but like the the idea of this myth is that there's a stone embed uh, sorry there's a sword embedded in rock and they've got all these strong guys trying to pull it out and they can't and finally some some little kid who does it really gently manages to get the sword out so that's one metaphor for the law of reversed effort I, i don't know what you uh Make of this law,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's obviously a, a key part of um, key part of the book, and good. We're covering it first. And I think a lot, a lot of it. Um, well, what, what I think he's referring to is that you know that the harder we try to you know push things um, like fear and anxiety and worry away, the more fear and pain we're going to feel uh-huh. so you know he says so as, as long as there's the motive to change our experience and be somewhere mm-hmm. else and remove ourselves from where we are and treating ourselves as a separate eye to the experience mm-hmm. that is going on we will always be susceptible to psychological suffering and as he goes on and we'll talk about he offers solutions to this mm-hmm. so you know um would say the law of reversed effort the more we are able um, to feel pleasure the more vulnerable we are to pain is part of his, his explanation so he's basically saying that if we if we struggle with things we're unable to feel um feel <clears throat> you know pleasure in, in the most natural natural way and live in the most harmonious
0: way possible so in this uh yeah. quest for psychological security and, and certainty as he puts it he's kind of saying that we're in a bit of a trap where the more we effortfully try to feel secure and not anxious and the the more we try and be a good person (laughs) or the more we like try and be a a better person whatever that might mean we often end up more insecure through the process of um forceful effort (laughs) yes and also to add to that i think by
1: labeling experiences as good bad and different fearful positive negative um we perpetuate we perpetuate um these feelings of negativity and and fear as opposed to when we're able to release that and experiences and experience um these feelings and emotions f- fully that's when mm-hmm. we're able to have more psychological freedom and it turns into something else he says you know life moves freely ahead and we're no longer perpetuating this feeling by thinking that there's an experiencer um but the, sorry there's a creating a, a feeler behind the experience that there's an eye experiencing this like mm. the the separateness that you know sam harris talks about in in waking up and those zogchen meditations the um non-dualistic mindfulness um certainly plays into this i think mm.
0: yeah, yeah 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 and so he kind of opens by making the case for why well, I know this was published in 1951, but why this era or age were particularly susceptible to this? <clears throat> so I thought mm. maybe covering that might be why this sort of book came out at this time. For sure, yeah. And he talks about how, like in the past, we were able to cling to God and organized religion, but um, and that that always promised uh, eternal order. an an afterlife and so even though we were clinging and to some degree striving for the future that the myth if you like worked uh until Mm. the enlightenment a sort of scientific revolution and then all these seeds of doubt were sown in and like i don't know you you have what they call the death of god by nietzsche's idea that when, if God dies <laughs> because of the enlightenment, because we can't quite believe in the same way we used to, we're going to be left with this like meaningless nihilism potentially. Mm-hmm. And I suppose Alan Watts is is saying a similar sort of thing. But now we, because we can't quite really believe in those same in those stories in the way we used to, we're we're clinging for much lesser, uh, <laughs> you know, not not uh, we're not clinging for future and an afterlife, but we're clinging for. You know a better life next week next month next year always striving to i don't know earn more money yes. or, or 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 get enough experiences to be living my best life to be striving to have some other ideal um mm, mm, mm. and that makes us i don't know it's like we're on this hamster we're always like trying to get more um yes yeah uh, yeah that's my pass at that <laughs> yeah no interesting
1: yeah i think um yeah, you've explained that re- really well, especially the part about um, yeah, kind of the religious aspect and how that's kind of dropped off and what we're searching for these days. And I think yeah. what the bit that stood out to me in that age of anxiety is that he's saying that human beings are only happy as long as they have a future in which they can look forward to. And mm. we're sort of the anticipation of a, a good time or pleasure yep. or some sort of release and not being where we are now is yep. um, something that we we look forward to and we get frustrated because that future never never comes and right and even if
0: it yeah, does yeah. and this is how time leads into our suffering right because even if it does we have so little practice at enjoying the present moment <laughs> that even when we get everything we want we're not very good at being with it and enjoying it because we're we've like habitually um addicted to planning for the future ruminating about the past etc
1: well that, that that's what he says is that um this possibly in, in another chapter that the the past um which is dead and the imagined future become more real <clears throat> to us than the present moment like we are right. very fixated we're very fixated in um you know comparing the present moment to a previous experience or to a desired future and mm. with that in mind with that kind of strive and constant comparison we can never truly be here present now and in enjoying the moment i think he makes a really great comparison that when you're in a a happy joyful moment yeah um and you're just kind of totally present you're not thinking about how this could be better in the future or what's Mm -hmm. happening tomorrow and then you're not Comparing it to something that's happened yesterday, but he's saying for more negative experiences, we don't tend tend to do that. That's the moment we start to move away mm. from experience and create that division, um, mm. looking el- elsewhere. And he says, um, I guess jumping to the solution saying is saying that you need to be with it entirely through the more positive and you know negative experiences. Although he would um, move away from labeling labeling it as such, um, right? I think
0: that's that's an interesting point. Um so we might just, all have experiences uh, yeah. of like flow <clears throat> and pleasure and positive where we are actually present and we you know mm. we can probably all relate to finding moments like that in our life or week hopefully. Mm. Mm. But uh yeah he's saying that we're much less likely to see that when we're suffering when we're suffering we're far more in planning ruminating and we would yes. do just as well to stay in flow <laughs> with our suffering um yes then yes. as when we're having pleasant times <laughs> mm-hmm. did um
1: d- is there anything else from from that part you know pain and time that stood out to you i i noticed um uh in in your notes you you, you highlighted the bit around uh, the real problem does not come from any momentary sensitivity to pain but from our marvelous powers of memory and foresight in short from our consciousness of time
0: Mm, um, yes. Yeah, and just, then there, was,
1: there was an example about the man about to undergo surgery. Oh, yeah, if you'd like to, yeah. 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 Explain that maybe in the context of,
0: of this. Um, well, he, he just used the example of imagine a man had uh, surgery booked in, in, I don't know when it was, let's say a month's time. And in the intervening, like he knew that was going to happen. That was all agreed. There was no debate about that. And in the intervening month, he wasn't experiencing any pain life was good uh other than the fact he knew of he this operation coming up um but he ended up suffering throughout it, just worrying and about this operation that's gonna happen and what the consequences of it might be, and I thought it just yeah highlighted the sense of mm. how that worrying about the future can um create suffering and what otherwise might even be a pleasant present, <laughs> a pleasant present, yes, yes, I think um. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I saw you wrote said his um, his power
1: to enjoy these things, so life as it is, as you described, is taken away by constant mm. dread. Mm. So I, th- I think he's painting a really great picture at the beginning of this book around what gets in the way of having a a, a pleasant and present now.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. Th-
1: th- there's all these things that we can we can fuel fuel the more negative, whether it's mindset or we we perpetuate negative. Mm. frustrating, irritable patterns within us by constantly striving to be somewhere else other than we are and I guess there's a there's a bravery in um, sitting through all experiences mm. um, and I guess it's it's maybe hard for us to speak as him but the way he articulates this, especially if you hear him with audiobooks and um, mm-hmm. lectures he does he, there's a real lightness to the way he describes this, you know, kind yeah. of describing Life as um join the dance of change, plunge into it. Um, don't get so frustrated if our ideas don't match up to the world that presents itself to us. That's kind of the source of our insecurities mm-hmm. that we're not willing just to kind of go with the the flow of life. And it's not kind of like these experiences are happening to us and directly mm-hmm. impacting us and frustrating us. It's kind of we're we're one and the same with these frustrations and we can um I think there's there a metaphor he said around. Um, I, th- I think I'm probably better off reading it out if that's all right. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I correct. feel like I. Very so correct. it says, if you look carefully, you'll see the, con- the consciousness, the thing you call I, is really a stream of experiences of sensations, thoughts, and feelings in constant motion. But because these experiences include memories, we have the impression that I is something solid and still like a tablet upon which life is writing a record, yet the tablet moves with the writing finger and the river flows along with the ripples so that memory is like a record written on water. Mm. So I think that's probably a better way of describing that, that flow and dance I was trying yeah. to express. Nice, um, nice, nice, Anyway, there's a few of my ideas. I just threw them all out in yeah, one go. But uh, yeah, yeah. there you go.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I, and I think some of these quotes highlight how this book is much more... Uh, an experience than it is chapters of information or like strategies or anything. I've, uh, it, it was almost like a meditation to read the book rather than, yes, which, yeah. which makes it <laughs> harder to sort of riff on and talk about, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's, I very much enjoyed reading it as a, um, meditative exercise.
1: Yes. I, I think as well, like the times we've listened to Alan Watts, the first time we did, we are kind of on a car ride listening to a lecture of his and, that sense of treating life as as play and as a mm-hmm. dance um there's something experiential around that like ah you can see things differently and i think from reading this i guess as we go on is um this is encouraging a, a perspective change or mm-hmm. a, yeah you know, encouraging a new a new way of of living that's i guess challenging to talk about in a podcast sense unless you can experience that yourself but i guess we're we're here to share our experience yeah, of that yeah um, and our, the things we enjoyed so um yeah we're a bit different for us i guess
0: <laughs> one i want to before we go much into that solution yeah one another thing i wanted sure. to um uh talk about was this idea that so we've got <clears throat> we've got our Um, clinging to the past and the present as a way to perpetuate suffering, which is one trap we can fall into. And uh, with the loss of religion, that can be even, you know, uh, we can lose meaning and have even more suffering. But he says another strategy some of us have for that is to try and numb our negative feelings. Yes. Literally with drugs and alcohol or sort of figuratively or or more psychologically through suppression and repression. and when we do that he calls that like a like a spiritual psychological suicide because when we mm. push or like when we try and just get rid of and have an internal uh hostile attitude towards our negative feelings it, that's where he's talking about the sensitivity you can't just get rid of negative feelings once you repress you repress everything and you just dumb sensitivity across the board which means you, mm. you're no longer free to enjoy pleasure as much and um, ah yes yeah he gave a sort of example of i think i don't know he gave a few examples but one was like a stuffy academic who was so up in his head and just had pushed all feeling to one side and sort of serious and uh there's sort of a few character styles that can come out of this or the <coughs> um or the, the like tough guy who <laughs> you know uh sees any expression of emotion is weakness and that sort of character Mm. style so a few examples there but yeah that another uh not very successful solution we have to this problem is to numb and push away (laughs) Mm. i think um maybe to add on to that it's probably in 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 the
1: chapter of the wisdom of the body he's saying that we um we often exist only for the future brain so we in the opposite to numbing we we can over stimulate ourselves so we kind of mm. crowd our minds we busy ourselves with distractions as you're saying and he says we tend to stimulate our senses until they build a tolerance so he's saying over time if we're constantly mm. moving away from experience and not allowing ourselves to feel it and filling life with all these kind of right. short short-term pleasures and um kind of doing things for the future brain so i'll do this then i'll feel good mm-hmm. um He's saying we rely on superficial hopes and assurances as well so we kind of put these things in place in order that we feel better at a future time Mm, mm. um and also we're doing things that numb ourselves and shut ourselves off from those emotions like putting Mm. those walls up and not experiencing it fully Mm. or
0: he talked about like um not not just for future times but like because you feel like this might be a rare opportunity to have that thing so even if you're not that bothered about it now you still overindulge in it because you can and because it's present now so he even talked Mm. about sex as like yes although you could think that's one of the most natural things to do we can get into that state where we're so we can be so um obsessed or see it as such a rarity that if we just get the opportunity we we might do it but we're not re- we don't really want to if we we're really listening to our body in that moment and then he said that can lead to things like impotence and uh ah yes yeah so yeah. even like i'm trying to think of other examples like that where like just because you have the opportunity for something you might grab it because you see it as something you a future self might want or you have wanted in the past but not been able to get in that moment and actually Mm, you're you're mm. still not listening to yourself now Mm, and then mm. and then that's another way we overindulge and decrease our sensitivity to life (laughs) over overindulge i think is a good yeah that's
1: a good word to summarize what you're saying for sure um i i feel like you would have liked the chapter on the wisdom of the body so I'd like to hear your mm. thoughts on that. <laughs> <Like that's, laughs> I've got I've got some things that I found interesting, but I know. Um, okay, I know we we've we've spoken before about um, maybe some of your your meditation practices. Um, how you, you tend to enjoy ones that kind of incorporate more bodily sensations and. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Be interested to hear what you think. Yeah. So now, yeah, I feel like we've gone from sort of naming the problem seeing some uh unsuccessful solutions to that problem and Mm -hmm. now i feel like very ready to enter the territory of like what alan watts is kind of actually selling in this book right which is the the being present the um noticing the illusion of the eye and the ego Mm -hmm. but yeah the wisdom of the body hey uh well, I'll just read my notes to to tune myself in, that we're we're living for symbols and the future. Uh, We have a conflict between I versus me, and we miss the natural, organic, bodily wisdom and rhythms. Like a pounding heart, a self-conscious mind isn't working properly. When we are tuned to the present and the real, the mind works instinctually. So... Okay, I did like that bit. He talked about how uh, that we have certain cues for when our body's not working properly, right? So if we're, uh, I don't know, having a panic attack, we can, might notice our breath short and our heart's pounding, and that's obvious to us in that moment that something's not right. Especially if we're not really in any immediate danger. Yeah. But he said the the way our mind gets obsessed with planning and ruminating future and past is that it is a very similar cue but we don't quite see it the same way we we, we it's not immediately obvious to us that that's our mind that's not <laughs> quite doing what it mm, should mm. Uh, so i really liked that highlighting um and and yeah so i'll give an example that this brought up for me then i feel like i've been on a transition with the way i exercise. Um, I very much in the past have made a plan to do certain workouts uh because I feel like it's good for me, and I'm very mm-hmm. much like I w- I should do this because it's good for me. I schedule it in, and then I've got this conflict where oftentimes I don't feel like I don't want to, <laughs> and then I, I'm like crack the whip. I force myself to do it. Yeah. I do it anyway. I can feel like sort of good about that, as if I've been like, well well done you stayed militant but it didn't it doesn't really work for me as a long-term strategy because eventually our the the me won't follow what my eye is telling me to do mm-hmm. um but on that path i suppose i, I found that actually that there is very real um like physiological benefit i can feel from exercising when i exercise at certain times in the right way like if i've had a long day at work and i've been i've had lots of screen time and my eyes are kind of stinging actually working out getting a sweat on and how i feel after that can feel very like relieving and Mm, um, mm. pleasant and if i'm as i've learned to listen to that response i found that i've started to uh crave exercise at certain times where I know my body would like that feeling that it gets Ah, okay nice and then suddenly if you can tune into that sense it becomes like this positive feedback loop where you find yourself wanting to exercise to get the payoff that I didn't used to be attuned to but the more I've listened to myself the more I've been able to you know from the outside it might look like the same result i might look like i'm exercising the same amount but i'm not doing Mm. it in a uh battled way i'm doing it in a way that is it fits the rhythms and the desires and yeah the what does he call it the great stream (laughs) i'm going yeah yeah
1: nice nice i guess it's sort of um it, it sort of jumps over the need for um motivation as well or having external motivating factors such <clears throat> right. as your plan or your right diary or blocking out a certain time to do something you are probably relying more on um what's called like internal motivation you're sort of like oh yeah. this feels like something i want to do yeah so i'm going to do it like it's nice to
0: if i was going to be sorry to jump yeah, on that but you're yeah, really yeah, nitpicky yeah. about that i would call it yeah. intrinsic motivation and like because actually in, in a way you could argue well my original motivation was kind of internal cuz i've internalized it but i've internalized yeah. these yeah, external no, things it. i've internalized like the idea of what a healthy person does and they are mm. they were externals they were uh, and they are still kind of extrinsic but i it's not like someone else is telling me to go to the gym, right? So it's not external in that sense, but there yeah, are these, nice, um, yeah, 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 I suppose in psychotherapy, we call them like introjects, like these things we've taken on from the outside. Mm. They've become a, a sort of pseudo part of us, but they're not really intrinsic. They're not in line with our true self.
1: Mm-hmm. I love, oh, I'm loving this example. It's, it's really good. I think, <laughs> um, yeah, that's no, really cool. I think um, there's, there's a, I guess a quote that's like screaming out at me, everything you're saying, and it yeah. might kind of sum up what you're experiencing from his angle. So it's saying, yeah. we have been taught to neglect our bodies and put faith in our brains. We have lost instinctual wisdom. Yeah. We are at war. The brain desires things the body doesn't want. And while the body desires things, the brain does not allow.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think
0: that was one I highlighted. That, that's I remember that quote quite clearly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think you know, he's saying it's easy for us, especially now. I'm thinking, particularly with technologies, he says, you know, we tune in more to pleasure and distractions, um, more, more and more, like things that distract and stimulate us, but don't have a the rewards quite low. Like so, you're describing like that feeling post exercise, experiential sort of. Mm whatever it is like however you'd best describe it whereas Mm. nowadays like a glow
0: uh, like calm tingling even if i'm tired it's like a nice tired (laughs) yeah
1: exactly yeah you kind of reassociate the tiredness with something something else but i guess we're going for more um well society is more susceptible maybe to more shallower desires and more shallow Mm. distractions as opposed to more wholesome body oriented ones Mm. Mm. um he does make a comment on what the the brain is for. So he says um yeah. so he says our logical brain thinks we can cut away from our finitude, but he says that the function of the brain is to serve the present and real, not to send man chasing wildly after the phantom of the future. So is uh, I guess he's he's paying uh homage to and respect to the mind for its um I guess some of its problem solving capabilities potentially Mm -hmm. or its ability to manage the present moment um with um maybe stored information that we have i'm not sure maybe landing on this perfectly yeah that we don't need
0: that sort of um conscious and effortful planning and problem solving maybe has its place Mm. but it's our mind has its problem solving capacities without doing it that way as well yeah I suppose it's something that's more obvious, a skill that you've so embodied that it doesn't require thought anymore. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. playing something on the guitar that you've played a hundred times before. Or, mm. um, I don't know. I, I, in Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, he talked about like um, people that just have an eye for sculptures because they've just been in the industry so long that they, they can tell a fraud like that. But they couldn't tell you exactly why they know it's a fraud. They just know <laughs> on some level. Yeah, interesting. And it's like that sort of more gut level, uh you right. know, instinctual thing. <clears throat> interesting. So that's some um, that's some I
1: guess solutions, I suppose, to this uh anxiety i have more i, I, I know you, oh, you got some more well, yeah go, you've go. Already, no, i'd love to hear more yeah
0: yeah you've already kind yeah. of named them but i feel like they're so important they, they deserve more time so one is yeah. this idea of how we symbolize everything so yes, yes just yes. we've talked a lot about past and future but even in the present the way we <coughs> we chop up the world into bits of thought and like almost instantaneously, I see, you know, like screen, plant, chair, like we we project. and But the only way I know these concepts is because I've learned them in the past, right? So we're constantly projecting stuff onto the world that is of mm. uh, symbols of language that we've learned in the past. And that's almost like a barrier to actually experiencing things in and of themselves. Mm, mm. Um and there's a sort of uh security in being able to label everything and knowing what yes. everything is, but you actually miss the <clears throat> like the uniqueness of the, the real I don't know <laughs> this is where we just start losing words, right? The the tangible, the real, yeah. the the unique moment of of any given moment. Um mm. this actually came up in one of one of the Jordan Peterson books we read, where he talked about how, even though he's lived maybe in that current house he was in when he was writing the book just as long as his childhood home, he could like describe the the cracks in the street of his childhood home, like the different like shapes of the bricks on the walls opposite yeah. his house. Cause when you're a kid and before you've built all these symbols and you, before you p- just put everything into a box, you sort of, you're more oh, prone right. to taking the real experience. Whereas mm. if I can just label something street bus stop wall, I don't really take it in. I've just yeah. projected a past concept onto it and I've just chucked mm. it in the bucket with all the other bus stops, walls and pavements I've ever seen. Oh, and you sort of live in a a kind of, uh low resolution fantasy of your own creation yeah. rather than being present
1: and is is he saying the way out of that is to stop labeling and stop putting um expectations on on things or is is there a way we can I don't know better absorb the world that's like a
0: solution from that or? hearing you say stop <laughs> has me think of mm. like that's part of that effort right like oh no i'm doing a bad thing if i was a better more spiritual person i wouldn't be projecting yeah um i think it's more about noticing just being aware of as Mm. it's happening and like choosing to pay attention to the now and Mm. whether that's Mm. labeling and what what out of that is sensation and what out of that is thought and what out of that Mm. is labeling and fantasy and just being aware i think is is the twiddling of the sword rather than the the forcing of Mm, it thinking mm. oh no it's bad i'm thinking about the future again like i'm Mm. terrible at this mindfulness nonsense
1: something um and possibly unrelated but um something i've been trying to do a bit more this year is when i'm in an experience stop well stop here we go again um trying not to add um a running commentary to what i'm doing or Put an expectation on it, um, because it kind of takes me away from the here and now. Like exactly what he's saying, yeah. you know. If, if yeah. I'm, if I'm going like, ah, oh, if it was, if it was this, then this might be better. Or this is, oh, this <clears> is <throat> almost as good as that other the sushi. <laughs> sushi I had last yeah. week, and I feel, I feel yeah. like I notice it when I'm surrounded by people who are constantly expressing being elsewhere or like comparing mm-hmm. or expectations. Like you know, I guess I was um with someone recently you know kind of down at the beach um or in the water like oh this this would be perfect if it was a bit more sunny i'm like this is this is, <laughs> yeah. this is already beautiful you know like i i guess it was just it's not a criticism it's just something i noticed that like i mm-hmm. i find that unhelpful i think it's a message he put put in this book as well like yeah that running commentary like stop um you know you're not doing that when you're fully aware and fully present in the yeah. moment you're not constantly comparing um
0: For real yeah, yeah yeah and then just to build on that so there's the commentary itself and then yeah. there's the 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 deepest or ultimate sim- ultimate symbolizing which is is i so the symbol of this sense of identity of who i am and so with that running commentary Mm. part of what makes that so um almost invisible even though it can be ever present is the sense that we identify with it it's not just like a radio Mm. that's over there that's someone else's babble it's like we it's like that is me (laughs) that's who i am yeah 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 i think you you've already named this earlier um but that sense that because we rather than, if I have a memory, rather than seeing it as a thought image that's in the present, but actually seeing mm. it as some representation of the past and me in that past. Yep. And being able to compare me in the past with me in the present, it's like the the thing that survived all that feels like a constant, and I mm. identify mm. with that, and I call it I. That's how I, um, I suppose, symbolize this ego or whatever. Um and that yeah, it gives us like,
1: psychological continuity, right? Exactly. That there's a yeah. memory of eye. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh but this is the thing that so this is like the ultimate symbol. You know, I talked about, you know, I could symbolize the screen or the plant or the chair, but this mm. the ultimate symbol is the eye. And he's saying that the closer we look at that, uh the more we find that that too is just a projection. It's not it doesn't really exist in the way we feel it does.
1: mm, mm. Wow. Heavy stuff,
0: isn't
1: it? <laughs> nice. Um all right, cool. I reckon um, I I think it might be good to um yeah, kind of yeah, push on and um, you know, look at the look at some of the other solutions that are available um and what he suggests. I think um the, the chapter on being aware. So he's saying we need a method and course of action. So he says awareness of life without any judgments or labelling false impressions are removed by awareness adding labels prevents awareness we need an undivided mind and don't be separate from experience Mm. so um you know kind of instead of trying to it's kind of similar to what we've been saying before but you know saying the more we seek security the more insecure we feel the more we try to escape the pain the more pain we feel the more you struggle to escape the more you inflame the pain you are afraid and want to be brave, but the effort to be brave is fear trying to run away from itself. Mm. You want peace of mind, but the attempt to pacify it is like trying to calm the wave with a flat iron. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. So well, I think he's, he's, yeah.
0: Sorry, do you mind if I? Hop
1: you, you, on that? you go, you go, you go. There's two quotes that I like that kick that can kick us off. Yeah.
0: Well, the so I just talked about this. Symbolization of identity that we call I and or the ego, and and that that's this thing that we try to defend and protect and make secure, and we make sure that it, you know isn't wrong in an argument or whatever. But by mm-hmm. building defenses in trying to secure our sense of identity, we actually wall it off and make it more separate from others in the world. Yeah, which then leads us to feel more. Um, sort of isolated, alone, and separate from the rest of existence. Mm. Mm. And mm. I suppose he's saying that if we notice, uh, there is really no I, we start to identify not just with this symbol of who I am, but we identify all of our sensations, we identify with all of it. And, mm. like, if mine's. Mm. Sensations in this moment includes you and the sky. Then I start to feel at, at one with the universe <laughs> and at one with yeah, everything yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I don't have this, um, yeah, symbolised identity of the I or ego that I'm protecting. And so suddenly yeah. everything is kind of a part of me because I can only experience well, everything I experience is is unity to some degree.
1: Mm. and how he's saying during negative experiences that's when we typically create that divide right that we're not kind of one with everything but we're separate to these things and they are affecting us directly
0: right um, right cuz i the, can the, escape uh, yeah. the fear or i can try to escape the pain or trying to defend myself from you or mm. whatever it is and you know he says our, our minds only work um
1: um, Their best when we are not constantly re-stimulating our inner effort to get away from it. Pain mm-hmm. thrives in tension. Um, I think that that's interesting. Thinking about how, well, kind of what you're saying is that we we will perpetuate negative patterns and negative mindsets and mm-hmm. psychological suffering by re-stimulating them by identifying too strongly with mm-hmm. the stimulus as opposed to experiencing it as it is uh. and i guess these are quite i guess there's a whole uh i guess religions and philosophies and a whole world of work in trying to explain that very simple concept i suppose but it's uh um yeah it's an interesting one to carry out. i feel <coughs> like it's something I, I need to remind myself of on a daily basis when something feels you you too easily identify with a negative experience this is the exact okay. sort of advice you need to kind of like step back and get perspective mm. um and i guess even using that language stepping back and perspective in itself implies that there's a you that needs to step back mm. <laughs> but um i can i can see how there's often like there's just like so many different metaphors you just got to wait for one to land and be like, <laughs> yeah. ah yes that's the one that's the one yeah. that feels right to me yeah
0: right yeah. right because it ultimately is no like any he talks about this as well any language you use you've already started to symbolize everything and put it in boxes so like mm. it's already too late <laughs> uh, to <some> <laughs> so yeah you can only find ends through metaphors that sort of land or click or yeah i'll be i'm um, what
1: your thoughts were whether you could just explain a bit more about um when he says that you know the mind has the power to be you know a a shock absorber so it kind of it has it has a bit of giving it and Mm -hmm. um uh, like water or a cushion
0: yeah nice yeah so i i had something in my mind on the back of what you just said before that which is you know that this labeling and symbolizing we've been talking about so let's say I have an experience now and, and I hmm. I tell myself it's anxiety. Well, as soon as I've said that, it's now in the box of anxiety. And it's like, just like the box of chair, it may as well be the same as every other chair or every other anxiety. Hmm. But I'm, hmm. I'm missing, by doing that, I'm missing the actual here and now experience, which although it might be comparable, it's actually unique. Um, And I... And then, of course, I tell myself that this box of anxiety is now is now a bad thing, and I have to find a way to, you know, push it away or drown it out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But by not by getting to it before I label it, I can actually tune into what it really is. Um, you know, this next heartbeat, this twist in the stomach, this shortness of breath, or whatever. And again. Mm-hmm to even describe it i have to now put more words to it but yeah uh, in in that experience i wouldn't necessarily be labeling it. i'd just be noticing the sensations and the experience and the thoughts and i suppose in doing that he's he's saying that there's there's a natural flow to life that will whatever that experience is will change um you don't have to push Mm -hmm. it or or beat it or drown it but but actually by doing that you're by fix, you're almost fixing it in place by doing that and actually just by listening to what it is without judgment and labels, it will naturally mm. blow. It might not necessarily just get pleasant straight away, but change is inevitable. Um,
1: yes, yeah, and in that sense of, um always says, like, don't be rigid, be stable and absorb it. And I think that's, mm. a, I guess, a useful metaphor. And I think that's, it's, it's true. I guess when you think back to experiences, you know, you had maybe I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like they probably felt really real and scary or worrisome or whatever, mm-hmm. like they, they moved on. Like he says, the, you know, the transitoriness of life is the beauty of it. Like there's something beautiful about the mm-hmm. fact that things kind of move through you and change naturally. And um, if we I, I imagine if most people reflect, or I certainly know myself, reflect like the more you struggle with these things, the more difficult you make it for yourself, and it can perpetuate perpetuate the struggle. So, um, nice. yeah, I think there is. It's a useful metaphor, yeah, just to kind of allow. And it's probably one of the most difficult things to do, but it also sounds like it's a a habit that you can mm-hmm. you can learn or a skill that can be developed to, um, yeah, get 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 better at just sort of sitting with discomfort mm. or difficult emotions
0: yeah yeah
1: mm. nice mm. and also on top of that he says that there's more um depth to life as well like if right. we, it's kind of what you were saying like if you're labeling things you're you're putting them in in a box like this is anxiety whereas if you mm-hmm. just kind of sat with it there's a whole i guess myriad of sensations and um ideas and yeah you know says give give our minds space to be silent and form new words you know so there's Mm. there's a and back to the wisdom of the body like there's a wisdom in that experience like it's telling (laughs) you something like something is in there and if if you listen you could derive some useful information
0: Mm, from that as opposed
1: to yeah as as opposed to um Prescribing it or describing it as a certain experience based on pride, like, oh, I've had anxiety before, so this must be anxiety, or mm-hmm. I've, you know, you're not giving it a chance to be mm-hmm. something new. And yeah. I guess, in a way, life could be more joyful if you're experiencing new things and nice. seeing things fully. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because the more you let in, mm. like, it's about that sensitivity thing you talked about at the beginning. We are sensitive creatures and we can try to numb things by, you know, boxing them, labeling them and pushing them, but then we desensitize to everything. Um, And I liked it. He says something like, uh, if you're constantly thinking or talking, the only thing you have to think about are are thoughts. (laughs) Whereas (laughs) if you actually have a break from that and you can experience raw experience sensation. You can then have new things to think about. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: found that a bit funny too. Yeah. 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 I was um interested again in another part of the book. Um what's it chapter seven, the transformation of life. So he's saying to make proper plans and have a vision, we need to understand life as it is, of what we are and what we are doing. So I think he's saying here we must have a healed vision of life from a Mm-hmm. from a place of full awareness in order to um i suppose make, make the the most wholesome decisions for us um and mm-hmm. know once we know we aren't split you know there's not kind of a separate i and me um it must have influence over our actions otherwise we're in constant frustration and tension <clears throat> i'd be really keen to hear what your thoughts are on this, particularly around sort of, you know, making life choices and making changes and making decisions. Okay. Um,
0: (laughs) I can tell you how I interpreted it.
1: I I Um, read the quote and then you have to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The way I interpreted this is he was saying that, um, you know, sometimes, especially Americans, we like, he spent a lot of his time in America, even though he was English. Um, but we like to be practical people. We like to do things. We like to get things done. Mm. And then he was saying, "Well, y- you can't getting things done without a uh, theory makes no sense because what you're getting yeah. done works well, like you- you've got no. If you've got no vision, then y- you," he says something like, "It's just like you're walking around in a fog." <clears throat> like so. Okay. So before before doing and we need some sort of uh, vision, some sort of theory. But he said, we can't form that vision whilst we have a divided mind, whilst we feel like there's an eye, uh, that's separate and alone from the rest of the universe, uh, or we can, but it will form a contradiction. Um, our, what we want will be in contradiction with reality. Um, and they, so then he goes to, well, if I can uh, see that I'm this interwoven process with the rest of the universe, like ultimately we're all, uh, even from a scientific perspective, like right, we're all stardust. We, we've all come from the same place. Mm-hmm. We've all grown out of rocks. <laughs> like we're not, yeah. we are actually one, even on a scientific level, not on some woo level. But um it's not like we've all come here from separate universes. We've we've, we've grown from the same stuff or one thing. Mm. And mm. that when we're more... But when we actually feel that rather than just see it conceptually, uh, we start... That can shape our, I suppose, desires or motives in a way that are more what you might call pro-social or more like... I wouldn't just... If I can really see that, then why would I care just to earn millions of pounds for myself at the expense of running a business that, I don't know, pollutes the atmosphere or something? Because if I'm identified with that atmosphere as well, that would just be a contradiction to me. Whereas if I'm this mm. separate ego, my goals might involve uh, things that protect the ego This, in, this uh, at the expense of other people, uh, uh, everything else around me. So you're saying only really when we feel that I am you, you and I. <laughs> I'm one yeah. with everything that my that my motives will actually be coherent. That's, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. the way I interpreted it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really like that.
1: Lovely experience. Lovely experience to hear you say that. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I think um, it's <laughs> what, it's What uh, about it's a, you? <laughs> what about me? Well, it sounds like it's a. It um, sounds like it's a like a a, frame, a framework or a, a way of reminding yourself when making life, life choices. And I guess it does go to links in with some kind of like stoic principles around, um, you know, I- I accepting death as another moment. So, and accepting our finitude. So kind of bearing that in mind during your decision. So maybe might be a bit helpful when taking risks or if you're making decisions based on um, what other people will think of you. Um, if you're worried because you think that other people won't like you for that decision or that you'll be unpopular or you won't look cool, then it's at that point, it might be worth questioning. Am I focusing mm. too much on the, the ego, the sense of I that could be damaged by this? Right. Um, right.
0: Yeah. 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 It obviously, would help inform those sorts of decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, where you're kind of trying to defend or run or escape uh, yeah. ego damage. Um, but in doing so, you're missing out on opportunities, life experiences. Mm.
1: Mm. How did you go with the last couple of chapters? I feel like I've spoken about all the parts that interested yeah. me. Is there anything else you wanted to add at all or any final thoughts?
0: Feelings. Yeah, so the the one on morality, yeah. I feel like, was yeah, led yeah. Uh, led on really nicely from that. Um so he, he kind of spelled out how <laughs> in quite funny ways how morality is often practiced. Um and it's it's like we <laughs> when we're this divided mind, when we're this I and me in the same way that as an individual i might be trying to whip myself into shape to be a good person or a better person despite mm. my mm. you know um base, uh, urges and motives that want to do separate things from what the eyes telling it to do mm. that we that's also happening on a societal scale where we see um where morality is seen as kind of like something that's preached and then and then we reward and punish uh based mm. on people being good and bad mm. um, so <laughs> so that is I suppose that what we just talked about that transformational life thing, but on a societal level, mm. and now I'm just trying to think whilst speak whilst thinking. What he suggested the alternative was, but I'm I've not caught up with myself enough, so maybe you can help me out.
1: <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So I actually um I stole a few of your notes, so I'm about real. to help you here. Real. So saying um, yeah. So when when I feel ashamed that I amount to nothing, mm-hmm. and so I begin to practice humility because of my wounded pride and charity because of my self love. He says the the urge is to make I amount to something. I must be right, good, a real person, heroic, loving, self-effacing. Mm. I, efface myself in order to assert myself and give myself away in order to keep myself. Jesus. The so whole, he, the, he ho- he the whole thing is a like contradiction. Spiritual pride,
0: yeah. right?
1: Yes, yeah. yeah, spiritual pride. Okay, yeah. Is well, this like, helpful, I'm trying so to be a good person
0: yeah. for my ego. Yeah. It's, yeah, I suppose it's a similar yeah. thing to the, the, what yeah. we talked about, whereas a more, yeah. I suppose, what he called the chapter creative morality, a more creative approach yes. to morality, is that... <laughs> so like let's say i could see someone who let's say there's someone some i don't know some guru right and they have transcended their ego and their motives are sort of aligned with a pro-social way of being such that they effortlessly act in ways that are not harmful or malevolent because Mm. they i they they haven't got this encapsulated defend defensive ego where he's kind of saying that most of what we might consider evil in the world would come out of this divided mind, come out of this mm-hmm. ego defence. <clears throat> and actually, that answer of whipping the ego into shape or or using punishment and reward to force it to do what you want, mm-hmm. um, well, for one, it, it kind of undermines the whole premise of morality that we have any free will anyway, because you're basically saying we can just be shoved around like porn pieces um but but back to that example so let's say so there's a there's guru right he's transcended his ego and he he i'm i'm looking to him to be like i want to be like that so i start copying him <laughs> but yeah but he, he's saying this isn't something you can copy because in doing that it's like I'm still trying to, in my spiritual pride, trying to make I a better person by being like that over there, right? Yes. And okay. he's saying yeah. it's more that um, like that's the great stream of, of life. If we have noticed that this I is some sort of an uh, illusion and we we are present, our motives will naturally be more um pro-social and Mm -hmm. like not wanting to damage life and the environment and other people because it just Mm -hmm. aligns with what we're identifying with which is everything we experience Nice, nice. (laughs) 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 nice yeah these are
1: these are some um yeah these are some really like I guess quite heavy ideas in a lot of ways, yeah. but it, I guess it does boil down to some relatively kind of like simple ideas too around, um, you know, like living life fully and completely and um, being in this moment now and, you know, experiencing it to the full. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Not,
1: not fleeing, not running towards it's a, uh, it's an experiential read. I um Yeah. I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. it. It was one I, um, it was always one that's like knowing we had to do a podcast on it sort of changed the way I experienced the books. So I was like, I want to remember some things to talk about, yeah. but I imagine if I read it without having this conversation in mind, um, maybe I'd have embodied it differently. I guess that's always a a thing with um, doing these books with you is like, how do, how do we balance sort of uh, the key takeaways? I don't yeah. want to forget them, but also I want to experience them at the same time. And maybe by, I don't know. Writing them down, I take myself out of the moment because I'm adding a a, a label, an impression to metaphors and experiences. And I guess uh, just a a final, well, reflection for me is that, like, when I'm experiencing something, whether that's a book or a movie or anything else, it's like, do I need to worry about trying to remember it later? (laughs) You know, (laughs) or like, you know, kind of capturing a moment, or is there Is there something in that? I'm not sure if I'm landing on anything here, but there's something there, yeah.
0: Well, I think I've got a good metaphor for that. Whereas, like, let's say you're at a lecture where uh, where what you're being offered for you really is just information. Mm. Then you might, and let's say it's not being recorded or whatever, you might be likely to take notes as the lecture's happening, Mm. and that might be of some value to you. And that would be, like, akin to us reading a book that was more informational but if you were at a gig listening to music <laughs> you wouldn't like in trying to write a review about the gig as it's happening you'd just be yeah. taking away from the experience of being there right and a exactly. book like this does feel like he's trying to not just get, give information but he's trying to offer you an experience through reading it mm. so yeah like yeah. there's certainly something by trying to capture it at the same time that you might miss something. I definitely yeah. relate yeah. to that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Alright. Um Thanks, nice to chat to you mate. Nice Cheers, mate. Take care. Yeah soon. Bye. Bye.